This is The Dog and Bone. Welcome to The Dog and Bone, a series of podcasts brought to you by Propeller Group, the global PR, content and business development specialist that builds a reputation and growth for companies in media, marketing, retail and technology. I'm Martin Lote, founder of Propeller and curator of The Dog and Bone. In each episode, we invite a business leader with something to say into our kennel for a chat. We ask them to dig up something a bit tasty for us to chew on. My guest on this episode is Mark Howe, one of the most popular and enduring figures in UK commercial media and advertising sales. Starting out in the early 80s, he had various ad sales jobs in the old ITV regional system before moving into the emerging digital TV sector in the late 90s. Notably, Mark was launch managing director of the sales house IDS, which represented channels such as UK Gold, UK Living and Bravo. Then, in 2005, Mark made what some might say was the defining move of his career when he moved to Google as its first UK country sales director. At the time, Google was the new big kid in the playground of UK media sales, and it didn't seem to mind getting into the odd scrap as it went about pinching sweets and eating other people's lunch. Mark was brought in to keep the peace and establish better relations with the UK marketing and ad industry. And he's built on this role successfully over the past 17 years and is now Google's Managing Director for Agencies and Ad Industry Relations in Europe, Middle East and Africa. But recently, he announced that he would leave Google at the end of the year and move into semi-retirement. There was a collective outpouring of praise and affection from the industry at the news, as the 480 comments under his LinkedIn post show. So I thought we should hear from the man himself. Mark Howe, welcome to the Dog and Bone podcast. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Thanks a lot. Let's just start then. So why are you choosing to hang up your boots at this time? Well, let me be honest, it's, it's not been an easy decision, and it, but it has been one that's taken me a, a few years to get to. Um, after 41 years, as of just November the 2nd this year, 41 years in the ad industry, I sort of felt I'd, I'd done my porridge and earned my stripes uh, in many respects. But equally, um, you know, many out there know that my wife had been unwell a couple of years ago, had to go through uh, quite a bit of chemotherapy. And that changes your, your outlook on life. And uh, after 41 years and 17 years at Google, uh, I thought, OK, well, let's let's take a sabbatical. So I took a sabbatical of three months earlier this year in the spring. And I suddenly realized after nearly eight weeks in my house in Spain, I'm very fortunate to have. I thought I could do this. I could live here a bit longer. Um, and so I came back and um, decided it's it's time and uh, made the decision, albeit you know, with some degree of trepidation, to hang up my boots, Martin, and, and head off into the sunset, spend more time in Spain and, and do other things. We'll come on to what that might be soon. But um, do you feel you leave Google in, in good shape then in terms of uh, its, your brief with its relationships with the ad industry in Europe and the UK? I, well, yes. Uh, one thing I'll, I'll say is I, I, I do. I think we're in much better shape than we were uh, when I started. Um, in, in truth... You know, my role at Google was always to try and um, bridge the gap between the the tech company nature of, of platforms like Google and the real media world of which I, I grew up in. And um, I think now since since adopting a policy that within our 
ad industry relations team and also with my agency teams over the years is always, you know, if you're at Google, um, the, the, our, our, our phrase internally is, you know, if you're not at the lunch, you're on the menu. So you've got to be present. And even at my tender years, I'm still the one that's donning the black tie, going to the events, going to the charity events, putting my hand up. And I think it's time for others to take on that mantle now. I think I feel I've, I've done my bit. But actually, by doing so, um, it's really uh, engendered a, a spirit of, of community with the industry. And I think the majority of the industry now appreciates that Google has lent in better um, and uh, is, it does want to be part of the industry. But it wasn't always that, as I sort of hinted in no. my, my introduction. Take me back to the start then, because in those days, yeah. there was a feeling that Google was this big sort of um, Silicon Valley tech company um, riding roughshod over the way we do things here in the ad industry. And there was a lot of bad blood, really, to be frank. Well, there was. But actually, of course, we weren't that big uh, at that time. When I joined 17 years ago, the whole of the digital ad market uh, was only probably about 6% of the total ad market. Um, I was used to, you know, the dominant days of television and print. But actually, you know, Google was uh, approaching half of that. So we were about 3% of the market. Um, so we weren't that big and ugly compared to now, where digital is 60, 70% of the ad market. And Google has a reasonable share of that. Um, and therefore a reasonable share of the ad market. Uh, but at those, you're absolutely right. Those days, uh, and I, I've actually, you know, it, it, it was a tricky one when I first joined. My very first interview with the then um, head of Europe for Google, uh, Nikesh Aurora, you know, I'm sitting there uh, and, and I, mean, I thought we had a good chat. We had a 45 minute chat. And he said, well, Mark, yeah, I think I like you. But to the average Googler, you're the devil incarnate. <laughs> Um, you're sitting here in a suit and tie from old media and you're old from old media. I was thinking, hang on a minute. I was, I was only in my mid-40s then. I was quite young as far as I was concerned. <laughs> uh, and I said, all right, so, so I haven't got the job then. That's fine. But actually, fun enough, 12 interviews later, I, um, I, I joined Google in January uh, 2006. And at that time, as you say, um, we had just abolished agency commission um, and so the agencies were hating Google. Mm. We were, Google was going direct to clients and trying to avoid agencies. Uh, and so I, I was brought in. I thought, oh, my God, what have I joined? You know, I, I didn't even really speak the language. Uh, and it, it but I looked at the business model and the business model was sound. And uh, and actually my job was to to change how we approached sales, because actually at that point, um, Google really didn't have a great sales culture. Um, and, it, you know, I think now we're in, we're in, we're in much better shape. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm really proud of some of the achievements we've made. Well, we'll come on to one or two of them. But yeah. um, one of the ways we do things here on The Dog and Bone is we take guest questions. Uh -huh. And... Uh, the first one kind of plays to uh, how, how you may have felt about joining Google and not really being one of one of them, yeah. if you like. And this comes from Stevie Spring. Mark, hi, this is Stevie Spring, chairman of the British Council and erstwhile uh, fellow media veteran. Um, my question to you is, I remember when you first joined Google, you described yourself as 
having the passion of the convert as you move from old to new media. And I wonder now, in hindsight, how much you think that tech ignorance helped you be the acceptable face of the scary in our industry, which you have undoubtedly been. <laughs> well, thank, thanks, Stevie. Uh, lovely question, I, I think. Um, yeah, tech, tech ignorance, you're absolutely right. Um, I had to go and ask people what Google was before I actually went for my first interview. Um, and because I actually thought I'd be taken out of a box in television. I never really thought that that would be um, something I would leave. So, But going in, um, I'm not sure my tech ignorance was what uh, you know, changed the perception of, of Google. I think it was going in with a degree of you know, humility, transparency, honesty, um, and, and just being myself. Because you know, I said a moment ago, I, I spoke a different language. And I, I, think, I look back to those early um, directors' meetings of you know, the European directors of, uh, of Google. And most were ex-McKinsey. Ex um, or other tech organization, uh, other other consultancy organization, they weren't you know born and bred diehard media blokes like me. So I I I was a real you know round peg in a square hole, um, and I didn't understand the language, but they didn't understand mine. So it was absolutely imperative that I I worked on them to try and understand the value of relationships the value of interpersonal sales skills, you know, the, the value of, of um, being part of the media community that I'd been part of at that point for, what, 24 years or something. And um, by, by not really speaking their language, uh, I, you know, I, I, I broke them down by speaking only mine uh, because I didn't try and fake it. And I, I think that's, you know, that's probably how I, I survived right to this day is by being purely my myself um, and not pretending um, I was, uh, you know, a, a tech genius. No, good answer. Yeah. And I mean, looking at what you've you've achieved, I mean, what would you say is your biggest achievement of note of something that's out there? And, you know, conversely, looking back, what do you think uh, you weren't able to pull off? Yeah, that's always really hard when you, you get questions like that because actually one of the things I would say is, um, and this might sound a bit trite, but I'll go humanity uh, as, as one of the relationships mm. and the people I've worked with, the people, the careers I've helped develop, and that's many, um, they've gone on to great, great things. But equally, I, you know, three core parts of the business at Google that I think I've had a, um, a major influence over that I've really enjoyed building and the first was you know, developing a, an agency sales culture when everything was direct. And that included you know, a lot of battles with the internal, especially Nikesh, who, who, who didn't appreciate agencies, didn't want us to do business with agencies, and you know, would actually actively um, challenge us to go direct on all, on all occasions, which you know, many agency folk out there will, would appreciate. Um, and so every meeting I'd have would be, why are you going to see my direct, my clients direct? I go, well, yeah, I'm not. I'm here with you now. You know, so let's let me understand your challenges and your business and how we work together as a tripartite to work better. So building out the agency business uh, infrastructure, which actually that 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 culture and infrastructure um, went across Europe, and the same structure was then built out in APAC and in the US. In fact, so 
you know, I feel quite privileged that I, I created the first ever agency sales team in Google um, that went global. Equally, I, I pitched for a million dollars about 10 years back to launch our, what was called then, uh, the Google Squared uh, sort of education program, right. where I saw a real, real um, lack of investment in training and digital skills, certainly within the agency community, but also the client community. And when we built this, this training program that greater, later became the Google, Google Digital Academy, but equally went um, online and now is an independent business outside of Google um, training thousands and it's trained thousands of people over the years um and so i feel really proud about um seeing that that vision to 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 try and educate the the great unwashed um and then i, I guess lastly it's the the work i've done what i what we call industry relations yeah. which was back in 2006 i took google into the iab at that time subsequently i've been on the um i've worked very closely with the uh, with ISBAR, um, with the IPA, I've sat uh, and the IB. I've I've sat on the boards of of the IB of ASBOF. Uh, work closely with the Advertising Standards Authority. I sit with um, I sit on the board of EASA, which is the European version of the ASA. I've um, I've worked with NABS and and and, and Wackel and other other organisations within NABS the organisation. NABS being a charity for the industry. Wackel NABS. being the women women in advertising. Group. Yeah. Yep. But 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 fundamentally, by that that notion of if you're not at the if you're not at the table, you you know you're on the menu, um, and so just effectively leading from the front and ensuring that if there was anyone going to sit on these boards, then it was going to be me yeah. uh, in the UK and and even across Europe, and and that you know we won't back off that now. You know I've I've set that that in motion, and we've got a fantastic team across Europe. Who are, work with the trade associations? And on the flip side, you know, the tougher part of the question: what uh, what have you not been able to pull off? <laughs> well, the, full the, and frank interview. Well, yeah. Well, the tougher side of that is the reality is that um, I don't think I've ever persuaded, you know, that the, the agency community is the most valuable community of scaled um, uh, opportunities that i i believe it is um google still you know we still have the challenges of of direct client relationships um and sometimes undermining our, our agency friends and colleagues and um and yet we've never quite got that tripartite working relationship between us as the media owner platform um with the agency and the clients right In, in, in some places, it works fantastically well. In other places, not so much. And I, I still think, I still think Google um, undervalues the agency uh, world. Right. Well, that's interesting to hear. Is that because uh, other colleagues almost like go over your head in the direct route to brands leaving out agencies? Sadly. Yeah, I think it comes right back from the very early culture of Nikesh Arora. Um, you know, he's a very successful businessman. Uh, um, but that culture has, has always been at the heart of it and the and there's still a lot of lot of internal management folk that 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 don't understand don't understand the talent and the thinking and the pressures that agencies you know work under on behalf of clients and the fact that 
you know, clients empl employ and engage agencies for a reason. They don't do it, you know. So they not use them. They not use them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, but we also know, and you know, that clients like to play off their agencies, and and agencies play off their clients. So, you know, no one's, you know, guilt free in 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 that tripartite. Um, but I I would still love to see. Um, a little bit more appreciation of the, of the work of both creative and media agencies. Sure. You mentioned some of the uh, industry associations <coughs> and bodies you've you've got Google involved in. That's been yeah. very visible. I mean, uh, Google has also been a good sort of trade sponsor of events and the media and so on, and YouTube also. Yeah. Um, is there ever a sense that you're seen as a little bit of a, a sort of a, a, a cash cow if someone's holding a conference and they need sort of 40, 40 grand for a lunch sponsor? It's uh, give give um, Mark and the team a ring. Um, I, hard to answer that one because the answer is yes. Uh, but reality is we've always, whilst I, you know, I, I believe we we should be, we should have a profile and we should um, uh, support the industry that, that feeds us. Um, Google's never been great in the early days of, of sponsoring major events. And even when we did, we didn't necessarily want a, a badging, it just to be a badge. We wanted it to, we wanted it to be for a reason. And, and I think that should be the case for all, um, all events like that. There should be a reason behind it, whether that's looking towards digital transformation, looking, looking to um, demonstrate our, our you know, privacy or, or products and services that we we care very deeply about um so just throwing cash at a problem i don't believe in um but i can't say that there's not been times where you know you support your you support your friends you support the industry actually we mentioned uh wackle the uh women's advertising club and uh the next question references that but also um quite a technical point let's see what you make of this one this is from sarah parks at talon hi mark Firstly, I wanted to say a huge thank you for your unwavering support of Wackle over the years. It has been hugely appreciated and we very much hope to see you at many of our events in the future. So my question is around Google's scale and how that impacts a traditional media market. And unsurprisingly, with an out-of-home twist, whether you see Google's latest development, uh, Google 360, which centralises and automates out-of-home buys, whether that will drive overall market share, in your opinion. Well, thanks for the uh, wackle comments, Sarah. I'm not sure of quite about the, the the technical side of the question, but let me let me answer the uh, talk about wackle to start with. Um, I genuinely believe in 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 much greater diversity in this industry, and I've supported many of causes for that. And over the years, been a real supporter of wackle because um, I love the way it's it's structured. Um, I, I love the, the work it does during the year to support young female talent in the industry, um, and we've I've supported those those courses and and, and sessions. On your out of home question, um, well, funnily enough, I've been talking to out of home suppliers for many many years uh, about how we should work um, with out of home, and 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 I don't know the technical details behind the, our, our our latest product and out of home. Sarah, but what I would say is the one thing that I think differentiates Google, differentiates Meta from the wider industry is, and I, I found this astounding when I first joined Google, was obviously the, the SME market, the small medium enterprise volume 
of of advertising and advertisers that we have on our books um and actually to that end the the thousands of what we call agencies you know people that buy on behalf of third parties um on our books compared to traditional media certainly when i was in television so the opportunity for any programmatic um transaction for other media to be able to uh, broaden their client base and and go much more you know, niche targeting hyper targeting local targeting and broaden their client base um utilizing the sort of the, the massive client base that that both we have and like of meta have can only be a good thing for the industry and 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 broaden the revenue streams for for other um, other players other than just ourselves I take that point. So yourself and Meta, with your very wide, long tail of um, smaller agencies yep. and advertisers, if a media owner or uh, vendor teams up with you and uses your systems, yep. they're getting a much wider sort of dispora of um, brands and revenue. There's a potential for that, for sure. Yeah, but how does that play with your earlier point? Because that's automation, that's programmatic. Where's the room for the personal humanity in that when you just get a file in from a small agency overseas for a, a, a few seconds or a bit of inventory? That's, uh, you know, more of a commodity than a people sell. Well, I, I, yeah, but I think there's a vast swathe of media now that is a, is commodity. And I think it's really incumbent on each of the um, media owners to for the for the for the larger clients you still need a much more in-depth in relationship, understanding of the business, understanding of their of their challenges, understanding of their audiences. Whereas perhaps on for some of the smaller clients, you know, it's much more of a direct response model right. and they're, they're looking certainly on in retail. And we saw that very much through through COVID, through the lockdown, the 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 larger companies took longer to adapt to um an online retail marketplace than a lot of the smaller, smaller mid-sized companies and even smaller companies. And actually that changed the, the shape of the market and changed the shape of our business. And, you know, it was incredibly valuable for us at that time um, and probably changed online retail for good. You're listening to the Dog and Bone podcast from Propeller Group. If you're enjoying it, please share the link with your network. Subscribe on iTunes or your normal podcast provider. And if you're feeling really inspired, please write a review to help us zoom up the charts. Now, back to the conversation. Let's move away from Google and go back to the start of your long 41-year <laughs> career, Mark. Yeah. Um, and you started, at, <clears throat> you started at the old ITV system. I, th I assume things must have been quite different back then. Tell us about <laughs> uh, what life was like on, uh, on these early uh, ITV sales forces. Do you know what? Uh, they were brilliant. Um, it was wild west uh i joined trident television which was the uh sales arm of yorkshire and tyne tees television november the 2nd uh, 1981 as a deputy sales assistant wow this is the north you know, of england for our international, <laughs> international <business. laughs> yes that's for yorkshire and northeast you know, newcastle and leeds and and uh actually when i first got the job and i went first for the interview because there's no such thing as the internet at, at that point oh, yeah. um yeah. 
I, I thought I was I thought I was going for a job at something like Rumbelows. I thought I was gonna be selling televisions. I didn't <laughs> I didn't even think that the people sold television advertising. So it was brilliant. I started this job and my first job was just respending preemptions. And for those that don't remember what preemption was, it's basically when you an advertising TV buyer would buy a spot on Coronation Street or something else, and someone would come in and pay a bit more and you'd knock you'd get knocked out. And my job was literally just to phone up the TV buyers tell them they'd lost that spot and if they wanted it back they'd have to pay another 500 pounds or something and i'll just be told to fuck off and die so my first year or 18 months in the industry was basically just being told to f off um which is slightly character building um but then you know on a friday lunchtime you'd then go out and and drink six pints with these guys and then the volume just got higher and higher in the afternoon as and the expletives just got worse but basically you know i, I built i built a career selling television in largely with agencies i then went to the trying lost its franchise went to link television and client sales for a couple of years so i had a category of watches and clocks and gardening and holidays and things like that um so i did travel around the eventually uh, in in my uh, voxel cavalier um seeing seeing clients and then i went the way of tiny tees television and actually i think the time at tiny tees um was a real hard sell and it gave me a real discipline of 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 sales discipline and i thank actually our sales controller at that time lindsay dalton radley um and uh, i've got a 35 year reunion of that times t's television sales force just tomorrow um in in my in my time and uh i you know that those, those disciplines then i took to google and fun enough, took through my career into Thames Television and into um, FlexTech and into IDS, which is that sales discipline of know your business, know your customers, know them inside out, know your customers, know you know their their wives, partners, husbands, and names, any kids, what they their favourite you know football team is, they play golf, whatever. Just get to know the people um, and build those deeper relationships, and then know your business because Lindsay was brilliant on what we used to call brands not carried and if she every every sunday afternoon she would sit poor sad fellow fair, fair person she was she would sit sit there on a sunday afternoon going through what was the the, the blue book and the green books because we didn't have so much computerization then going through all the brands that we weren't carrying on time tees and if you didn't know why we weren't carrying them on the sales meeting on a monday morning um you know, you needed the yellow pages down the back of your trousers because you'd get a kicking, you know, physically as well as ver verbally. <laughs> and, you know, it was a great discipline to know your business inside out. I think in those days it was much more brutal, the, the feedback. Uh, and nowadays it's absolutely incumbent um, to understand, you know, what challenges there are at home, what challenges there are within their lifestyle or, or, or um, within the, their both work and li home lifestyle that's affecting their day-to-day their -day work and behaviour and mental health. We've got another question, actually, about um, your your role at Google and with agencies and how things have changed. And I'm, yeah. I'm just going to... This is from um, this is from Rachel Ford, the chief exec of uh, UM, Universal Media UK, although she herself is moving on soon. Hi, Mark. It's Rachel Ford here from UM. I've got a question for you. Um, we've had the pleasure of working together for quite some time in our wonderful industry. If you think about media agencies specifically, how do you think that they have evolved over time? 
and their role in terms of client interaction? Well, thanks, Rachel. Um, it's a really good question. And, and I've worked with agencies now, media agencies specifically, for, well, 40-odd years. Um, and, of course, it's changed um, from more combative to more collegiate. Um, but actually, what I, I still I still believe that lar the larger media agencies, um, the the big six as as we call them, have, were were slow to really embrace digital. Hence, why one of the answers to my one of the earlier questions about Google Squared and the training program in those days, and you were party to that, was the the need to continue to train. And I and I and I feel that there's. That is, that's a, it's a never-ending journey, that, um, as the staff turnover continues um, and there's the talent dearth of talent in the industry. We need to continually train our talent in all, all walks of media, but especially digital transformation um, and, and, and ensure that, that the people in the industry um, are skilled in understanding clients' needs and the solutions that every agency has for them, uh, and let the you know the, the grunt work be done by technology. Uh, and there's 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 always a bit of a, a fear factor that that you know the machine learning will will end up taking over the asylum. And uh, and I don't see that. I see that it the 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 talent within agencies is renowned and is is their business, and they need to continue to build that talent. I do feel that what we've seen change, um, we've seen the nature and shape of agencies. We've got so many more digital marketing agencies and social uh, agencies that have come up over the years I've been at Google that are, are forces to be reckoned with. And I think both the large agencies can learn from them and the digital agencies confirm from the, the, the client service from the, from the, line, the, uh, the large agencies. But I do think this notion of, this notion of client service has changed. I think because of some of the challenges that Isbar have quite rightly pull, pulled out, um, challenges in the supply chain, that um, there's a little bit less uh, trust in the industry between client and agency. Every agency has their, you know, favourite client that they work incredibly well with, and you know everything's hunky dory. But there's always clients that are a little bit suspicious um, that agencies are over-claiming. And I think what's happened in the last five, ten years is that agencies have tended to over-claim that they can do everything, you know, to perfection. And my advice to the to the agency community is, is be honest, be transparent about what you're best at and really double down on that. And if that means a part of the solution is, is best served outside of your business, then you'll get much more uh, trusted... Um, feedback from clients uh, for that honesty um, but equally I think agencies have been poor at saying no um, clients you know clients putting you out to putting their business out to pitch on you know on Christmas Eve and expecting a return on the 2nd of January is just an outrage and actually agencies and the whole of the community should just say no not doing that we'll start that process on the 2nd of January but no each one of you will you know go well if he does it, I've got to do it. And so therefore you compete. So I think that that notion of saying no um, and being much more forthright about your true skill sets has to come much more to the fore. And I actually believe 
that actually I miss full service. You know, when I first joined, I loved the full service uh, agencies. Explain that for the um, newer members of our listener base. Well, the, the, where, where creativity, where creative and media uh, work much more in tandem. Increasingly now, when you have sort of programmatic buys, you know, you are trying to target a specific and unique audience. And invariably, you need, um, you don't necessarily want just one big blunderbuss of a creative. Sometimes, actually, the best creative works and should work in every in every medium. Um, but you know, oftentimes, individual individual um, media owners need a different sort of treatment. And to have media and creative closer together, you get that better understanding. And I think you're starting to see that in some of even the digital agencies where 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 media and creative are are. are coming closer together going back to what it was like in the 80s before media split apart from creative yeah i mean we talked a little bit about outdoor earlier on and i think you know there's some amazing ads you know which use the actual medium themselves either the the billboard was a strange shape or it had something glued to it or yep. built on it yep. or it eroded over time if you're the creative coming up with that idea you need to be near someone who knows about out of home to work out what can be achieved with one of the media yep. partners or, or yep. not and uh, no, it's, it's, it's a good point you mentioned the supply chain and trust Unpick that a little bit because is it is that playing on the um, some clients uh, you know and I think it even goes back to uh, pronouncements that Procter and Gamble made a few years ago that there that there's too much of the pie being sliced sliced and diced for uh, digital in the digital supply chain. What's well, Google's well, I, your view on that? Yeah, it's, I mean a lot of that they always believe it's just the digital supply chains, but it's the whole supply chain. It's it's you know it's 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 is the is the budget that's being allocated by the marketing team at a client, what proportion of that ends up in front of the eyeballs of the consumer against whatever medium it might be? And, you know, the, the danger is um, through procurement, many clients have pushed agencies to the limit and therefore agencies are very creative, commercially creative um, businesses and they find creative ways of earning um, back the commission effectively lost yeah, and, right. and that's that's not new news yeah. um, but it leads to a bit of a, a mistrust in 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 that supply chain from from um, budget allocation to what volume of, of that budget ends up in front of the eyeballs of the consumer and I, and I think it's it's there is a big part to play of of um, at both agencies and clients to really nail down who's best at what. And there's a plethora of small uh, um, technical tech, tech companies that will shoot me for saying this, but actually, you know, they're, they're feeding off the back of, um, of this sort of insecurity of the supply chain. And, and, and quite frankly, um, I think that needs to be tidied up. And I, I and going forward, it, it will be through many different means, whether by uh, by the I by ISBA, um, the advertiser the, body. You think there'll be bodies. a sort of conglomeration of effort to? Uh, well, it's been going on for a while now. You know, yeah. Phil Smith ISBA's been yeah. been championing that as 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 have you know the ANA in um, in in the US. Um, but you seem to be hinting at almost like the eradication of that mid-market of, I don't know, measurement companies. Um, I think there's too uh, many of them. Distribution. I think there's too many of them. Um, 
Uh, Isn't that the free market that Google would champion in other words? Well, you could say it's a free market or you could say it's an oversupplied market that is ultimately, you know, draining margin out of mm. the um, the true value of, of, of the advertising product. I, I always um, sort of look slightly wryly at uh, comments about, you know, the value chain because they're usually made by people sipping a £3.60 Starbucks for which sort yeah. of 20p makes its way back to a coffee producer in... In Colombia, exactly. But, I'm drinking water here, but, <laughs> but you know, I have yeah. I, I have supped those Starbucks. By I the know, way. and I don't know how much makes it back to the uh, producer. But anyway, no. The next question is from well-known media figure, uh, a former managing director of the Sun newspaper, entrepreneur, and now consultant, Mike Anderson. So my question for Mark Howe, as he glides into his well-earned. Um, semi-retirement shall we say or the start of his next phase as he's in the back nine of his career what will you do now in terms of pivoting and recalibrating yourself from a large corporate to a more independent existence and how will you use what the experience that you have to help others or indeed yourself to enjoy the next years if indeed you want to do any kind of work at all or just be free of that and have a strategy of doing uh, nothing work-wise and everything on personal um, experiences. I know that you've uh, taken on many challenges, swam miles and run miles and done all sorts of crazy things. Uh, it's a lovely question, Mike. Thank you very much. Um, I, I love Mike Anderson. Um, I think he's an absolute legend. Um, it, well, in, in truth, um, I... You never know what you know until you pass it on, um, and but I know I, I know I've learned a lot over my my years. And the one thing I know, a bit like Mike, is I believe I know how to read people. I I think I know how to be. Uh, I think I'm pretty self aware, and I'm I can be my true and authentic self. And uh, and I think people seem and trust me as 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 honest in that way. And one thing I've I've learned is. When you start to read people and understand people and listen to people, you know, you're able to help them and build their their own um, capabilities. And one thing I've loved in my time throughout my career is is helping others be the best versions of themselves. And I know that sounds a bit cliche, but I genuinely believe over the years I've I've helped people um, grow their own careers by understanding themselves better as I read them and to, to get the best out of themselves. So I want to continue to do that. I really enjoy that. That's something that gives me a great, great energy. I, I, I like to think that by giving energy, it gives me energy. And I, I, that's something now as I, you know, I'm getting to a point where I'm, I'm sort of running out of energy because I, and I need to re rejuvenate. And that's what I'm going to do in, in Spain. And that's what I'm going to do by, you know, doing a lot of so crazy we won't swims. see you so much on the uk circuit you'll be in spain um, no i maybe. think i think i'll spend four years four four months a year four in months. spain right um and i want to be on the uk circuit yeah i don't want to do that's why i call myself my you know call it my semi semi-retirement i i hope to still continue to be uh linked to the industry in some shape or form um and you know the reality is uh that'll be to the market to decide what they want uh, I was going to say, like have, you got some, have you got a plan or something up your sleeve which yeah, will become I, revealed yeah, over the next few weeks? There's a there's a few little conversations that are going on. Nothing okay. co nothing concrete. Um, and you know, I'm in the garden till April, and uh, so I, I can't actually 
uh, do anything in, in, until April anyway. Um, and and after that, um, I, I hope to help people as, as Mike does. Um, I'd love to do a bit of mentoring and coaching. I, I, I enjoy that. But, but, but equally, you know, I'll go back to the agency community world and I, and I, I feel I really understand what motivates clients to work with agencies and, and how agencies can work better with clients. And, and I'd love to be able to do something to support um, uh, emerging agencies in that respect as well. Um, oh. but, I, but I also intend to, you know, do more crazy swims and more Well, tell us a bit about that because I know you've, you've swum out of Alcatraz prison and you've, you've swum from one continent <coughs> to another, apparently. Tell us a bit more about this. Fascinating yeah. Well, I've swum this escape from Alcatraz swim, where you swim from you swim from Alcatraz back to San Francisco, and I got my mates doing that uh, one year, and then we did um, this this swim across from effectively Europe to Asia, uh, in Turkey, across the Dardanelles, across the Hellespont swim. It's called the Lord Byron swim because Lord Byron did it back in his day, um, and it's so much fun. You know, you get taken by boat across. It's pretty rough and a bit stinky. The water's pretty open there's a strong current and you, if you hit the current right it's a four and a half kilometer swim so it's not a massively long one but it but it actually only swims probably three and a half um because of the current it's a great weekend and so much more of that more crazy swims i'm actually fun enough i've got a slight pact with phil smith of isbar who's a fabulous um cold water open water swimmer um that we should do the english channel um, wow, but and, uh, and I shouldn't probably publicise that because that puts even more pressure on it. But <laughs> but uh, just as a relay to start with, um, right? Because you know only seventeen hundred and fifty people have swum the English Channel. This is way way fewer than have climbed Everest. Um, and I don't know about the relay. Probably a lot more than that have done the relay. But uh, that's maybe that a would challenge. be an achievement. Yeah, no, that's wonderful to hear, and I wish you well with that. We're coming to the, towards the end of a very interesting chat, Mark, and we always close the Dog and Bone podcast with this question, which I hope you'll give us a, a good, uh, an interesting tale to tell to leave us with. What's your most embarrassing moment in business? And I, this century, really, I know that you're when you started <laughs> in television, you probably left the, you know the presentation at home when you're going to see a big client but in your more recent years what's your most embarrassing moment in business well in business it's really uh, in all honesty the, the there are so many embarrassing situations i've put myself in over the years and, and actually if you say this century that sort of almost limits it to google and and actually you know <laughs> that's bits that's a little bit more tricky because um the behaviors and my some of my misbehaviors in the 80s and 90s and some of the things i was renowned for you know eating wine glasses or setting fire to myself and things like that. They're stories of legend that... Um, uh, back when did over. You, OK, when did you set fire to yourself? <laughs> well, there's many a Mark's lunch. I don't know if you've heard of these yeah, legends. Yeah, this is everyone. Is a, it's lunch. a bit old media, but oh, I have heard of it. Yeah. Well, it's old media, of course. It's old Mark's, you know, um, and it's... it's uh, you know People called Mark. People called Mark. We go out for lunch. Generation, and yeah. there was a... I'm not sure I should tell this publicly, but there's a story oh. where basically... It was a Mark's lunch at Zignor Zilli's back in... I don't know which decade, but it was 80s, 90s. And actually, at the end of the, the mark, towards the end of the, the lunch, it was the early evening by the stage, there was a downstairs, a private room, and there was a, there was a, um, there was a hen night going on. And myself and a, a few fellows called Mark, people like Mark Chippendale and Mark Taylor, uh, Chips is a good singer, as I don't, you know. Yes, Chips, he's got a band, he's yeah. Great, great, great voice. So we, we decided we would serenade um, these 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 ladies at this hen night 
and we found some of their party dresses in the in the cloakroom and we thought it would be a good idea to put their party dresses on um, so I'm standing on a table with Mark Chippendale in, in a pink pink tutu dress uh, with Mark Mark uh, Chippendale um, you know serenading me wearing something blue as I recall and um, to match his blue eyes and uh, I thought it'd be a good idea to put a lighter to my chest hair which was you know fully uh, fully there at the time fully out there uh, and um, as I sort of put the, this lighter towards my chest with these girls being serenaded at the same time by Mark Mark Chippendale, Mark Taylor decided to throw a Sambuca over me. Um, and so not only did I go up in flames, but so did this this girl's pink dress, um, which is marginally embarrassing because, um, and I think it was her, it was she was the one whose who's, um, hen night it was. Uh, so that, that cost us uh, quite a few drinks and, um, and, and, and me a, a, f- a few scars. It certainly probably gave her a good story to tell as well. Uh, hopefully she's been telling that story. <laughs> setting his chest hair alight. Well, on that good old-fashioned media story from a 41-year career, I've got to say, Mark Howe, thanks very much for being on the Dog and Bone podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the Dog and Bone. Please subscribe to the podcast, and if you have any questions or suggestions, do get in touch via our website, dogandbone.dog, or send us an email at woof at dogandbone.dog. <laughs>